here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to start a new series uh, in the book of Galatians, and we're going to start in Galatians 1 today. And so open your Bibles there. Uh, most of the text will be on the screen with us too. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning, so I hope you'll be able to, to follow along. Before we get there, here's something I want you to think about. Have, have, you, have you ever maybe showed up with a message for somebody, and you've given them that message, and this message was really important, you thought uh, it could change people's lives, um, it, was, it was good news, really good news, and then somebody took the message, and they went to deliver it to the people, and they distorted it. Or maybe you started an organization or a business and it had this great mission and it was really changing people's lives and it was really helping people and the people that you kind of left it to or left in its charge changed it. And now it's not doing what it originally was supposed to do and, and not because it changed, because it needed to change, but actually it kind of changed for the worse. Uh, this is kind of what is going on here with the book of Galatians. And, and for Paul, the writer of this, it's, it's, it's really personal. And so he's going to write out of that kind of personal hurt that he has um, as he looks at these churches that he has started in Galatia, where Galatia itself is in what would be modern-day Turkey in the southern part, and it was a providence of the Roman Empire. And so Paul is writing to the people who are a part of the churches or the church there in uh, Galatia. And when he talks about church, right, they didn't have denominations, but there was a group of churches that he planted probably about two or four years before he wrote this. Another interesting thing about the book of Galatians that you should know as you kind of think about this is this is one of the first books in the New Testament. Um, it may be the first. It's, it's probably the second. Uh, the book of James may be the earliest written book. This may be the second earliest written book. And so this was written probably in about 80, 49, or 48, so about 16 to 15 years after Jesus' death. And so this is a, a, a very um, uh, early writing that we have in front of us. And what Paul is going to do in this book is he's going to give a short defense here in these first couple, I guess, uh, uh, verses, I should say. He's going to give a short defense of the authority that he has as an apostle and also the importance of the message that he gave to the Galatians before he left them, uh, when he left them with the message that he left them with and started the churches that he started. And so we're going to look at basically two things this morning. We're going to look at Paul's authority, or the authority of the messenger here, and his message. And so go ahead and look down at your Bibles, or follow me here on the screen, and we're going to begin. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. So we are going to start right here with Paul, an apostle. Now, Paul begins this letter that, that way uh, for a reason. Uh, the word apostle uh, can be used in the New Testament in a very uh, general way or a specific way. And in a very general way, what the word apostle means is it means like a messenger or the, a sent one, somebody who is kind of sent out with a message uh, from a particular person. And you see this being, you see that word being used in that way in the New Testament, uh, in several different places. But what Paul is trying to do uh, with the term apostle and why he's claiming to be apostle, an apostle right, right here is for this reason, not in a specific way, but in a very or not in a general way, but in a very specific way. 
Uh, Jesus, when he called the 12 disciples, he calls the 12 men to himself. And, and if you follow the ministry of Jesus, what Jesus did is he called 12 men to, to himself to follow him. And basically, disciple means follower. But then he gives them a special name. He says, I'm going to call you to me as my disciple. And now I'm going to, spend a, a, I'm going to send a specific group out with a specific set of authority um, to be my apostles. And you see this in Luke 6 and verses 12 through 16. And you kind of see it throughout the New Testament that people are giving uh, special authority here. And so the 12 were given special authority to Jesus. They were the ones who were in Jesus' inner circle. They were the ones who were being specifically discipled by Jesus. They were the ones who knew Jesus the best. And then you had apostles that were apostles in a very general sense. Now, Paul is claiming to be an apostle in a very specific sense, specific sense, with specific authority. And this is why Paul, right, he does these two things here, right at the very beginning, as he, after he says he's an apostle. He says, I'm an apostle, not from, but through. So who's an apostle not from? He said, he's, I, I'm not an apostle from men nor through man. In other words, I'm not a general one who is just sent out. I'm not like every other messenger. Instead, I'm the type of messenger who has been sent out through Jesus Christ and God the Father here. He is claiming here a specific and special authority in his teaching. He's saying, I have a divine or special appointment here. This is what Paul is claiming. And we're not going to get uh, deep into his conversion right now. Probably maybe in the weeks to come we'll, we'll look at that. But Paul had a special moment in his conversion with Jesus Christ, which he believes that he was given the same authority that the 11, minus because it's, it's 11 now, minus Judas, had after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus's, Jesus left 12 apostles after he died and rose from the dead. And Paul claims to be the 12th here. This is important for us as far as authority is concerned because the 11 has special authority in the New Testament church. If you look 50 days after the resurrection, what happens is uh, you see this revival break out. Peter preaches and all these people decide to become followers of Jesus. And basically the church is established. And the first thing you see the church doing then is gathering. And in Acts 2.42, what you see is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the, everybody who basically joined the church, who came to know Christ, who received him as Savior, said, now we're going to devote ourselves to the, the teaching of the apostles. And Paul here is telling the Galatians, by the way, like, my teaching is that teaching. Like, that, that is now me. That is who I am. That I have authority, and God has actually personally given it to me. That's the claim that Paul is making here. Now, I, I think that's really important for us. Right, to give Paul that authority. I think it's really important to give the apostles that authority when we come to the scriptures and stand under them. I think that is the most sincere and the, the, uh, the, the, the most real expression that you can have of Christianity. Right? Uh, who knows more about what Christ taught and who he was than the people who were alive when Jesus was alive? The, who knows uh, more about Jesus uh, Myself standing 2,000 years or 20, or, you know, 2,000 years past his death, or somebody who spent time with him and the people that were with him. I, I have chosen personally to come under Jesus' teaching there that he has given to the apostles. 
And I think as you approach this book or any book in the New Testament or the Bible itself, you have to ask yourself, right? Are you going to give Paul authority in your life or are you just going to kind of teach him as a general religious teacher? You have to kind of do one or two of those things if you're going to study the Bible and if you're going to, to kind of listen to the general teachings that we see in the New Testament. The, the reason I ask you to do that and to think about that is because it will have two different effects on you. If you give Paul authority, if you give the New Testament authority, if you give the Word of God authority in your life, it does something different in you and for you than if you just find it as some kind of interesting teaching. If you find it as an interesting teaching, what you will gather from our time together, from your time in church, or from your time studying the Bible, is information. And that information may be very interesting to you, it may be even helpful at times. But Paul is claiming here to write on God's behalf, and so are the rest of the New Testament uh, uh, teachers, and, and for that matter, those who wrote the Old Testament, the prophets, and so forth. They're, they're, they're claiming to write on God's behalf, uh, and for a specific reason, and it's for transformation. It's not just primarily for information. And I, I know some of you might, if you're skeptical, and I've been there before, well, this, maybe, maybe Paul primarily was concerned about power, right? So that's why he wants to be an apostle in a specific way. But if you read through his writings, Paul does not seem to be concerned about power at all. In fact, if you remember his conversion, Paul has this conversion, and Paul's name before his conversion is Saul. Now, Saul is a much stronger name than Paul, and I will explain why. Saul is the name of an Old Testament king who was quite large, quite good-looking, quite strong. Yes, I know, he went insane, all of those sorts of things, but the name itself is a strong name. Paul's name is actually then changed, or Saul's name is changed to Paul after his conversion. You know what Paul means? Paul means small. Paul means humble. It's not a strong name. Paul himself actually was small. We know that Paul was small from tradition and from what we see in the writings. And then also we're told that Paul was bald, that he wasn't actually much to look at, and he wasn't even a very good speaker from what we're told. He's obviously a fairly good writer. But Paul is kind of bald. He's small. People generally kind of had, had probably even made fun of him because of his appearance. I don't really know what's wrong with short and bald people. Uh, myself, uh, I think they're wonderful. Um, but obviously a lot of people don't. I, I mean, think about it. When's the last time we've had somebody run for president who's short and bald? All right? Doesn't happen. I'm not real sure, but I think our country might be baldest. Um, and people in general. Now, there's no one here to laugh at that, so I have no idea if that's funny. Either way, follow me here, is that Paul was not about power. In fact, he was not even about himself. He was not about any teacher, for that matter. In the, the book of Corinthians, he writes to the book, he writes to the Corinthians, and he, he basically tells them, right? The, the, our ministries, ministry in general, is not about Apollos, who was a great teacher, a great order, order from what we can tell, um, and a, 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 probably a, 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 a tall, good-looking man. And then there's Paul. He said, it's not about who, who teaches you. It's not about the messenger, but it's about the message. And Paul is coming to the Galatians, and he came to the Galatians with a message of good news. And the defense of his authority is not about him trying to get them to listen to him. This book is not about Paul himself. It's not even about him being an apostle. 
But Paul is building this, and he opens this book up by claiming to be an apostle, not from men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, because he's trying to get them to trust the messenger so that they will receive the message. The message is what is important to Paul. And that is what we're going to get into for the rest of our time when we're in the book of Galatians. We're going to be focusing on the message itself. And he wants you to receive the message that he, is, he has. And that's why he spends a little bit of time talking about himself as the messenger. And so verses 3 through 5 here is kind of going to give us an introduction to the book. And the rest of the book is about putting meat on what I'm going to tell you this morning. And he begins, or we're going to continue here in verse 3. And it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is somewhat of a typical greeting as Paul greets the church in Galatia here, but it also has, it has some meaning and some depth to it here. We're going to get into that. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul begins this verse, or this is his letter here, with, who gave himself for our sins. Now, that statement, Paul believed he needed to state or restate to the Galatians, because we're sure, I'm sure he stated this when he went to the Galatians the first time. So he's restating this to the Galatians, and he's starting his letter this way, because this is going to kind of sum up a lot of his message to them throughout the rest of the book. Who gave himself for our sins. Now, why does this need to be restated here? Because Paul wants people to know that they can't atone for their sins. That Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. This is why Jesus came. And this is the story that we see in the New Testament. When, when the angel shows up to Joseph, what the angel tells Joseph there before Jesus' birth is that Jesus came to save the people from their sins. Paul wants people to know that salvation is not something that we can earn, that we cannot earn our way to God or our way back to God, but he is laying the groundwork to show that Jesus is the only way and the best way to God. That if you want, if you want grace and if you want peace, right, you have to know the one who gave himself for our sins, is what he is saying. And he's saying, you have no peace without the grace of of God here. So he's laying that, that groundwork. And I want to I want to put this kind of in our current context so that you, you can kind of understand why this is so important. There are a lot of reasons why, but just right now go with me on this. Let's pretend for a moment that you get the you get the coronavirus. That you were told that you had the virus. The virus then gets so bad that you yourself you have to go to the hospital. When they take you to the hospital, they're going to do something to you. They're going to isolate you. Right? The only people that are going to be allowed to be in your room or to be around you are going to be the doctors and nurses that are trying to help you out. You're not going to have any family there. They're not going to be allowed to, to come visit you. Your pastor is not going to be allowed to, to come in to the room. And you're going to be there. If it, gets, if it gets real bad, what they're going to do then is they're going to put you on a ventilator. Right? And then things are going to start to get real. Uh, if you hear that that's about to happen, you're probably going to start to wonder about something. You're probably going to start to wonder about death. Like, well, what happens right after you die? Do you meet God? Does heaven exist? What does it take to get in? And if you know anything about the scriptures, what you're going to start to think is, well, I think Jesus said 
to, to fulfill the law, to do your duty, to, do, to, to, to live out your purpose in life. You have to love God and you have to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so you think about that. You're going to eventually ask yourself the question. At least I, I, this is the way I think most people would. You're, you're going to ask yourself, have I loved God and have I loved my neighbor? Have, have I done that? And if you're like me, you think about it and you go, no, well, like I haven't always loved God. And, you know, I, I don't always love my neighbor. I, I mean, I gotta be honest with you, I'm a pastor, and even in the past probably five or so years, like I've had a scuffle with somebody in our neighborhood. It wasn't like, I didn't beat him up or anything, but there were times where I didn't love one of my neighbors. So you're laying there, you're thinking about this, and then you might just think, well, maybe I just need to have loved God more than I dislike him, or I just need to love my neighbors and, and love other people more than I've disliked them. And maybe God grades, grades on a curve, right? Well, who's the cutoff? I, I mean, like, is it, is it your neighbor? Is it somebody else? Like, are, are you the cutoff? Like, where are you at? You're laying there and you're starting to think about eternity. You're starting to think about God. And if you're honest with yourself about these questions, it can be very difficult to have peace. And, and the truth is, is you probably don't have it. And what Paul is doing here, when he's laying the groundwork to teach people that Jesus died for our sins so that we don't have to die in our sins. This is, we talk, there's a lot of talk right now about essential work. Like what is essential work and what isn't essential work? For Paul, this message is essential. This is very important for people to know. And I think when people potentially are dying alone, right, I'm talking to families who can't be near their loved ones, who have the virus and who are struggling with this, I can't go into a room anymore and pray with anybody or be there with anybody. And when people are, are dying alone, the only thing that can really give them peace is the gospel. Right? It's, it, salvation through Christ is what gives us peace. And it is the nature of this salvation in which we have peace. John Stott, in his commentary, he writes that this gospel gives people peace with God, peace with men, and peace within. In other words, the peace of God. I, I think we have a very real problem, maybe in and outside of the church, with understanding what the peace of God is or how to get the peace of God. We, we pray for it, we ask for it, we read about it in the book of Philippians and in other places in the New Testament, but we sometimes get our orders mixed up. We think we can have the peace of God without peace with God. And what Paul is saying here is that you can be confident that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, right? That you, you have been freed from the bondage and from the punishment that we all deserve for our sin. And that through Christ, you have peace with God so that by trusting in Jesus, you can have the peace of God. That's one of his points that he's trying to make here and why this is so important and why this is so relevant for us right now. Now, Paul delivers or continues here with talking about deliverance. He says, so Jesus died for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. And so 
you know, the gospel is more about what happens to us after we die. It, it has, it's, it's, it's relevant for how we live now. Like, it can change our life now, in this present life. And Paul says, if you want your present life to change, you have to presently give your life to Christ and anchor it in his death. Uh, this is the reason that I'm calling this series Living the Good News Life, is because it's more about what happens to you after you die, but it's actually about now as well and the difference it will make. It's about how we live. So here's what we're told. Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus sacrificed his life to deliver us from evil. Now the Bible itself is a story about deliverance. It's a rescue story. If I were to ask you what the most, uh, 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 or what the biggest story is in the, the Old Testament, I hope that most of you would immediately think of the Exodus. The Exodus is a story of deliverance. It's a story of people who go from slavery to freedom, of people who go from potentially impending death to life, to people without land, to people with land, to people who are entrenched in Egypt's customs, to uh, people who are given new life as Israelites and uh, people that are going to set up in Israel. And if I were to ask you this question, right now, I'm going to pretend that some people are here right now. Who is Israel rescued by during the Exodus? Now, I am picturing Jerry Dietrich right now, like, saying something, like, screaming it out. I have no idea what he just said. He probably got it right. But if you're at home and you said, Moses... Good guess, but it's not really how the Bible teaches us how the people were delivered and rescued out of Egypt. Moses was the messenger. God sent Moses. God sent the plagues. God parted the Red Sea. God gives Israel the land. God is the rescuer. God is the deliverer. And God is sending Christ. And Christ has come. And he is God, and he is the one who is delivering us from the present evil age. And now Paul is obviously talking about his own time here. But this is something that continues on. The, the Bible talks about the present evil age as being kind of now, um, but it then also talks about an age to come. It talks about two ages that are happening simultaneously. And you can see this on the screen here. I, I want to show you what I'm talking about. So, first off, this present evil age, as you think about it in the story of redemption, you think about, it, about the story of deliverance here, the present evil age can be represented by Egypt, and that is any person or a group of people who refuse to live under God's rule. That, and, and God wants to rescue us out of that. And so in the New Testament, you see this as the world. In the Old Testament, you see it represented as Egypt, as Assyria, as Babylon. As Rome, generally anybody, any specific person or any group who refuse to live under God's rule. The age to come is an age that is going on at the same time as the present evil age. You can see this represented as the people of Israel who come under God's rule. This is any person or groups of people who receive the deliverer and become a part of God's church. 
and what God does and his first deliverance from Egypt to Israel. He moves people out of Egypt to Israel and he gives them land and a place and he gives them a way to live that is so different than anybody else. And this is what Christ is doing for us now. Christ is delivering us from our sins by the cross and forgiving us of our sins, but not so that we can remain in our sins, so that we would live for the age to come. And yes, this present evil age, it's, it's not done yet. It's not over. But God didn't die. Christ didn't die so that you could stay in the present evil age. He, he died to deliver you from it. This is really important for us. This is important for you. Because some of you, you need to know that. You need to be reminded of that. That Christ who gave himself for you, he wants you. He wants you to be transformed from who you are and from who you were to the person that he gave his life for you to become and for you to be. Some of you, maybe you're sick and tired of living in the present evil age. And you need to be delivered. You, you need to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers. And when you do, if you live by faith and receive Christ, He can actually change your life. And He's going to ask that you receive Him by faith, but then He's going to ask that you join a group of people of faith. So that people can walk alongside of you as God continues to walk through with you so that you might be fully delivered. So I want to end our time together here really simply. Uh, first, I want to end by reminding and inviting. I want to remind everyone who is watching this, who is listening to this, who has been delivered and who has received Jesus Christ as Savior you have nothing to fear. You have peace with God, so you can seek the peace of God in your life. Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and in Christ you are promised life. No matter what, you are promised life after death, you are promised life as it should be lived now in this present age, and you have been delivered. Make no bones about it. You do not have to continue being the person you once were. But you do have to make the daily decision to live by faith. Christ gave himself for your sin so that you would continue to give up your sin and live for Christ. So be committed to that. Be committed to Christ in the same way that he is committed to you. Have, a, have faith that Christ has died for you. That there's nothing that you can do but exercise faith in Jesus Christ right now. Second thing I want to do is I just want to invite. I want to invite anybody who has not been rescued by Jesus to allow him to rescue you, to give your life to him right now. So many of us are searching after the peace of God or peace within, right? and you don't have peace with God. And the way to have peace with God is believing by faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he gave his life for your life. There's nothing you can do to earn your way back to God. God does not 
great on a curve. He does not expect you to start with doing a bunch of good deeds or comparing yourself to anybody else. Where God wants you to start right now is to give your life to him. Right? To, by faith, trusting that Christ has forgiven you and has died for your sins. And so would you do that? Because he wants to deliver you. He wants to rescue you. Not just from physical death, but he wants to give you life now. He wants to change your life now. I, I, I don't know necessarily like what comes to mind when you think of deliverance. What you need to be delivered from. Like the evil in your life that, that needs to stop. That needs to change. It can be fear. It can be anxiety. It can be an action that you continue to live out day after day, week after week. And what Paul says, and what Jesus has taught, is to be delivered, you have to have faith in Christ. And Jesus can do it. But you have to trust your life to him now. And once you do that, here's what I'm going to do. And this is um, crazy right now, because I don't even know what this looks like for us in the future. But I want to invite you, right, to either, for the time being, to continue to, to tune in to what we're doing here as we study the Bible together and as we do our best to worship God apart from one another. But as we're able to kind of start to join back, I want you to find a Jesus-loving, a Jesus-trusting, a Jesus-believing church. Find people that you can be with that are going to walk with you as you seek the fullness of God's deliverance in your life. I want you to join a group of people who are intent on living into the age to come. And like I said, I don't know what that looks like in the future right now. And I'm going to ask that everybody in our church and everybody watching, pray for your local congregation, pray for our congregation, pray for the church at large as we begin to pray with what it will look like as some of these phases get instituted as we come back together. But eventually we're going to come back together and we're going to live in the age to come together. Because Christ has delivered us to do that and to be God's people and to, li to, to live differently than the world. And you can be a part of that. And I hope you will decide to be a part of that. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can know that we have peace with you, that we have peace with God through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, and who has delivered us from death to life. Now we pray, Father, that that peace would manifest in us. I pray, Father, right now for anybody who is seeking peace. May they believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. May they re receive his forgiveness that he offers through his atoning death on the cross. May we believe that he rose again, and may your Spirit fill us. Father, may we be rescued by your Son, Christ, at this time from fear, from anxiety, from the lack of rest, from the lack of hope. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody who is listening to this or watching this right now, that they are not at peace with you, that they do not have peace with God or the peace of God, that they would receive your son Jesus right now. That they would believe that you have died for their sins, that you have paid their debt. That there's nothing that they can do to earn their, your love, 
or to earn salvation, but it is freely given through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so might they, by faith, receive Him as Savior. And might that give them, give them peace. Might you deliver us all, Father, from this present evil age or anything in our lives right now that are not honoring you. You end your greeting to the Galatians church. To all glory and honor, amen, to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that our lives are a reflection of that, that we believe that, that we would live lives that are to bring you glory and to bring you honor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.